We got the set in, sunshine, fresh air. We got the team behind us. So let's play too. Bernie, great sentiment. Great to hear Ernie Banks. Welcome back. It's Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. David Hall, Bruce Levine until 11 o'clock. Why are we playing Ernie Banks? Well, because today there's going to be a very special broadcast on the Marquee Sports Network, Cubs 360 from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum live. It's going to be Bob Kendrick, our next guest, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And he joins us now in the Circle Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So today you will join Cole Wright, Doug Glanville, and J.A. Adande, who is the director of sports journalism at the Medill School of Journalism at Northwestern in Kansas City at the museum for a conversation about the Negro League's history and significance. What do you hope to accomplish on this panel during this discussion? Well, it's just an opportunity to shed a little light on a piece of baseball and Americana that still there are so many that don't know ever existed, no less to the magnitude in which it did exist, that being the history of the Negro Leagues, which is, of course, substantiated and documented at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And so it's great to have the guys in Kansas City in that environment talking about this wonderful museum that we built way started back in 1990 uh now in our home that is recognized as america's national negro leagues baseball museum and of course with plans that we just recently announced to build a new 30,000 square foot standalone negro leagues baseball museum and so this history is incredible chicago is so greatly attached to this history and it'll be a chance to shed light on that Bob, talk a little bit about how you got involved with this, because, uh, you know, your your love for the museum and the people that you've uh, been in touch with, uh, the family members, the remaining uh, players who are still alive from the having Negro League experience, has been uh, documented so well over the last, I, I would say, last 10, 15 years. And, and you've had an awful lot to do with that. Talk, talk about your involvement and how you got involved. Well, I, I certainly appreciate that sentiment, Bruce. And it started for me as a volunteer, and believe it or not, guys, 30 years ago in 1993, when I walked into a little one-room office that was a fledgling Negro Leagues baseball museum that at that time I didn't even know existed. And I walked into that one-room office, and I remember uh, kind of peeping my head into the little office because I wasn't sure if I was in the right place in the late Don Motley, who was the museum's first executive director, and I look in and I say, well, I'm looking for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and he looks up at me and he smiles. He says, son, you're standing in it. And, <laughs> and little did I know, guys, that I had literally just walked into what would become my passion. I fell in love with the story, and I fell in love with the amazing athletes who made this story, and I considered myself to be a baseball fan, and I quickly realized I didn't know a doggone thing about this sport as related to its history and the history of this country. And, and I've been hooked ever since. And, and as you both know, uh, for me, I met the late, great Buck O'Neill, and I tell people all the time, once you're bitten by the Buck bug, it is a wrap. You want to be on Buck's team, and so did I. It was love at first sight. And so every single thing that I do on every day there at that museum is done with the spirit of Buck O'Neill in mind. 
joined by Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, part of a special weekend on the Marquee Sports Network tonight after the Cubs postgame. Cubs 360 from the Negro League Baseball Museum in Kansas City. Bob will join J- Doug Glanville, J.A. Adande, and Cole Wright. And then Sunday at 7 o'clock Central Time, Buck O'Neill. It's all jazz, a special. And then after that at 8, <laughs> Cubs 360, the life of Buck O'Neill. And, Bob, as this uh, takes place this weekend, as you have the conversations, as people watch the coverage, how would you o- overall describe the tone that this will take? Is, is this a crisis time for for black players in Major League Baseball? Is this something that there's progress being made that you're going to celebrate? How would you assess where we are at this point? Well, we, we know that we still have work to do, but we feel very optimistic, and maybe that's that buckle nil spirit that runs through through me as well, but I, what from what I've seen and been a part of as Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's Players Association and with the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and the Players Alliance all kind of co- working cooperatively to try and address this lack of participation among American black in, in our sport, that there is reason to be optimistic. Uh, I think the programs that are being implemented are starting to pay off. It's going to take time. And I know as a society, we are not patient. Yeah, we're a lot of things, but patient is not one of them. But we just need to be a little bit patient here because this is going to work. And I think we're seeing more kids, more black kids playing this game now. And as they continue to play this game and grow in this game, I think you'll see the pendulum start to shift the other way. But the fact that Major League Baseball understands that there is an issue that needed to be addressed, that's a good sign. And I do think we'll see this alarming trend reverse itself over time. Bob, uh, you you do your own uh, radio show on MLB Radio Network. It's an award-winning show called Black Diamonds. When you uh, put together the material and uh, you decide what you want people to hear, what uh, the mainstream of Major League Baseball fans listen to on that network, uh, how do you go about uh, deciding what message you're trying to get through with your shows? You know, and, and I don't know if we've given it that kind of real, sophisticated, strategic thought. We come up, and, and, and they just try to turn it to me and I. We come up with ideas, and then I sit down and just tell stories. You know, mm-hmm. and, I, and then I, I'll, I'll, I'll shift seats from going to being from being the storyteller to sitting down and interviewing. But for me, what a tremendous platform Sirius XM Radio has given me and the Negro Leagues baseball museum and you touched on it to bring this history mainstream and i think that's really at the forefront of what we're trying to do i don't think there was ever a time guys that people didn't want to know about the history of the negro leagues they just had no way to know about the history of the negro leagues and this museum is filling that void but then when you create these modern platforms like you're seeing now with the great interest in podcasts and we've been able to find our niche in this crazy podcast world uh, because there's a bunch of them out there and people have responded and they're falling in love with the Negro Leagues and they're falling in love with this museum. And and that is really exciting to me. But I I love having the opportunity to share these stories. And and I'm guessing that many of the stories that we share, folks haven't heard before. 
and, and they find it fascinating, just as I did 30 years ago when I walked into that little one-room museum. I find the history just as fascinating today as it was then, and, and I'm still learning. And, and I love sharing what I'm learning with those who are listening to Black Diamonds. Bob, I, last thing I have for you involves a, a local story, and I want to get your perspective on it. You are in a position where your your words carry some impact, and you have the benefit of experience. And obviously, as we hear every time we talk to you, wisdom. So when you look at a guy like Tim Anderson, who is struggling mightily and been very open about how the struggles on the field have been maybe influenced by his struggles off the field. He's somebody yeah. who has gone from a guy you know, changing the game to the game changing him. If you had any words of advice for a young player that means as much to the black community, to black players everywhere, like Tim Anderson does, what might that advice be? Well, first and foremost, Tim Anderson is one of my favorite people in baseball. Uh, he has been to the museum on multiple occasions. He and his wife brought a group of kids from Chicago to Kansas City just to experience the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, and of course, Kansas City Barbecue, and they got to do that and then go out to a ball game, and, and that was something that I'm sure those kids will remember the rest of their lives. And so while Tim is hurting, it, we are hurting as well. And I hope that I'll get an opportunity to see him back at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum because, you know, when he walks through that museum, I think he quite he understood how they built the bridge for him. And I think it will be helpful to come back and immerse himself in that environment and, and, and really rethink how they went through the struggle. Struggle is a natural part of life. We all go through it at some point in time. We don't all have to have it played out in front of the world, the sporting world, but we all go through challenges and struggles. And for that athlete, and particularly the black and brown athlete, when they walk through the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, I do think it helps give them a little additional wherewithal. Because no matter what they may have to go through the way the game is played today, it won't be what these athletes had to go through. And sometimes we have to take a step back to move forward. And so, you know, we all love him, and I'm praying for him and his family, and I want him to remain a part of this game and be back to it, the Tim Anderson that was as electrifying a ball player as any in our sport. And, I, and, I, and I, again, that may there's that optimism in me, but I know it is going to happen. He just needs to hang in there. Bob, one of the greatest days I've ever had uh... – was in 2011. I had an off day uh, for the All-Star game that was appearing in Kansas City. And I got to go to the Negro Leagues Museum for the first time in my life and then go to the Truman Museum in Independence uh, just a short trip away, all in the same day. It was a magical day. Tell people how they can get involved with the Negro Leagues Museum and uh, you know maybe uh, be, be a member uh, and, and, and partake in uh, in what goes on there on a daily basis yeah no Bruce we you know it was great to have you in Kansas City to experience the museum and what a great time to be there in 2012 when we were playing host to the all-star game and it was literally a proverbial who's who making their way through the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum over those several days but for those who may be interested and we hope that you are 
in joining the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in our effort to ensure that the legacy of the Negro League plays on long after there are no Negro Leaguers left to attest how great this league was and to make sure that our young people can be touched by the life lessons of this story of triumph over adversity, please visit us at nlbm.com. You can become a member of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. You can donate to our Pitch for the Future campaign to help us build a new Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. And if nothing else, we hope you will plan to make a trip to Kansas City and walk through that museum with your family. It it can be life-changing. It is that kind of amazing experience, and it is an uplifting experience. You know, a a lot of museums that are built around social history, social change, social justice, civil rights can weigh you down. They're important, but it can weigh you down. But when you walk through the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, you walk out of there uplifted because what you are ultimately getting an opportunity to experience is the power of the human spirit to persevere and prevail. You won't let me play with you? I'll create my own. And, And what a league they created. Bob, thank you so much for your time. Enjoy the panel today and look forward to talking to you next time. Hey, guys, thanks so much for having me. See you soon. Bob Kendrick, the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, part of the panel on Marquee today after the Cubs postgame. Cubs 360 from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, live with Cole Wright, Doug Glanville, J.A. Adande, and Bob Kendrick. And then tomorrow night, Buck O'Neill. It's all jazz at 7 o'clock on the Marquee Sports Network, followed by Cubs 360, the life of Buck O'Neill, part of the weekend tribute that highlighting the Negro Leagues history on the Marquee Sports Network. Bob Kendrick is somebody whose voice does have a lot of impact, Bruce. And and I ask him about Tim Anderson because I think that it's a relevant question for, for Sox fans, for baseball fans in Chicago and elsewhere about can can Tim Anderson rediscover what it was to get back on track, to get to reset his career? I thought his answer was an interesting one. The question would be, do you think Bruce Tim Anderson is in a position where he feels like he is open to that kind of guidance, that kind of advice? I don't know, and I think only he can answer that. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree with with you, uh, David, and, and it was a really good question that you asked because uh, it, it goes back to the mainstream, you know, of uh, you know the roots of uh, of African American people and the sport, and you know, Tim, and, and we'll get more into this after the break, but Tim. Uh, kind of put himself in the position of being the new face of the young players in baseball uh, about three or four years ago uh, when he said, hey, uh, you, you know, the unwritten rules I don't live by, okay, of baseball. Uh, when he, you know, decided to celebrate home runs, to celebrate good things, not to be afraid to get in the other team's face with respect at the same time because he wanted to celebrate the joy of the game. He called the game boring at that time and that people needed to step it up. And I think he did that. And I think people appreciated it. And I think from my perspective, David, uh, when personal things occurred in his life and it uh, overtook his ability to, to put them aside when he played baseball, we're dealing with uh, you know, the impact of a, a young person's life 
and uh, the trauma off the field impacting his work on a daily basis. And it's, and it's sad to see because you know the athlete is electric, the personality is electric, and his ability to hit 300 is unique in this day and age. And what Bob referred to as and, and reminded everybody is that when these athletes do struggle, we can't overlook the fact or take for granted that they do it publicly. They do it loudly. And every misstep is magnified. And I think in Tim Anderson's case, that, that's been, you know, we know a lot more about Tim Anderson's personal life than I ever want to know about any athlete that I cover. And I don't really want to know those kinds of details. And yet they're out there due to social media, due to his status as a White Sox shortstop and franchise player, all those things. But it doesn't make it any easier to yeah. deal with if you're Tim Anderson as he struggles. And Bruce, we want to get to what Tim Anderson had to say. He posted an apology, an explanation on Instagram. When we come back, We'll hear from T.A. himself because he spoke before Friday's game. He is serving his suspension, and we'll get to all of that when we come back on Inside the Clubhouse at Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. I think the folks would like to see Luis hit one really far here. I was just thinking that. But maybe not. 14 unanswered for Colorado tonight. Well, it's a long turnaround. And get your rest anyway. This one is easily forgotten about because everything went wrong. Just like the season, Steve Stone. Welcome back. It's inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio. 6-7 the score. Thank you, NBC Sports Chicago, for that low light. Bruce, you called it a humiliating 14-1 loss. I think you heard that in... Jason and Steve's voice. Goodness sakes, the White Sox now 48 and 74 on a 98 loss pace. They're within another bad week of perhaps being on a 100 loss pace. The White Sox, total mess, but, and there was only a but because we want to follow up, and, and Tim Anderson did address the media before the game. I want to get to that, but how. How do, you, how do you explain what's going on with the Sox, Bruce? I think their season ended when Christopher Morrell homered, and now people paying attention, friends and relatives. Well, their season ended when they traded five of their pitchers away before the trading deadline, okay? You know, some of them are pitching pretty well, and if you can explain to me Lance Lynn and the way he's pitching for the Dodgers and how uh, – how he didn't pitch that way for the Chicago White Sox. You want to blame the White Sox coaching staff or people like that or the environment? Go right ahead. I'm 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 pointing the finger at Lance Lynn. You know, if he wanted to drag drag it here uh, as a White Sox pitcher, he's a professional pitcher that's pitched in the game for 14 years. So um, I I don't I don't get any of that. But nonetheless, um, you expected the White Sox to lose a lot of games the rest of the way. David, I did. I understood yes. it. Yeah, they don't. They don't have the team, but I don't expect uh, at bats like I saw Jan Mankata have yesterday, where he saw uh, three pitches and just uh, at the at the third one just flailed at it and uh, just wanted to get the bat over with. When you when you see when you see at bats like that and you see play like that, um, that's when uh, as a baseball fan, not as a reporter or anybody that um, matters any more than any other fan watching it, 
I get angry. I'm investing my time and energy to watch the Chicago White Sox, uh, you know, play baseball. I, I expect them to be professionals at work, and you know, to be humiliated like that in a game like that is—it's uh, beyond what I understand. The only thing worse than anger is apathy from a sports fan, and I think a lot, a lot of White Sox fans feel that. And it got off the rails quickly this season, and part of the reason was because. Well, it's, 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 there's a lot of factors, but Tim Anderson was one of them. He's not had a very good year after a strong showing in the WBC. Then he got hurt, and a lot of other things have happened. It's been on the field uh, kind of disappointment, off the field controversy, if you will. His suspension reduced from six to five games, and for the first time, Bruce, he addressed that before the game on Friday. He also addressed on wanting to set a better example. You know, I always you know, try to lead by example, but I haven't gave a good example, so... You know, that definitely, uh, definitely not, you know, a good point. But, um, you know, I, I come every day to, you know, try to try to better myself and better, uh, you know, guys around me. Um, and I work. And uh, I'm pretty sure this, this organization knows, you know, uh, you know, what type of person I am, uh, what I bring to the table, and, uh, you know, how I work. So I just, you know, continue to, you know, keep trying to get better, for sure. Bruce, Tim Anderson finally addressed all of that led to the suspension and the, the fight with Jose Ramirez, the TKO, if you will, all the things that uh, have been lingering there. Do you think he's going to be part of the White Sox organization next season? Well, it's a great question, David. I'm not sure. He's got one year left on a contract. It's an option that the White Sox pick up either for uh, $12 million for him with a $1 million buyout. Um, I don't think the White Sox are going to part ways with a talent like Tim Anderson, with a guy that has been an important player for the White Sox like Tim Anderson, uh, just by giving him a million-dollar buyout. Will the White Sox listen to offers for Tim Anderson in a trade? I think that's something that we have to pay attention to in the offseason here. Even they if be, they're, what are they selling yeah. low? They're selling low. Yeah, I'm but, Tim but, Anderson. What, if they're selling, so I, so I think you're right, David. Is will you? Is it worth it to get back a prospect for Tim Anderson when your young shortstop at uh, in the minor leagues, Montgomery, is probably still a year away from being your everyday shortstop? Or do you get with Tim Anderson and say, look? Maybe the best part of your career is ahead of you still. In 2024, you can be a Chicago White Sox. Maybe you can stay longer. But how about you being a second baseman the rest of your uh, career and being a, a really good one? You showed that you can do that as, so well at the WBC. You embraced that to be a part of representing your country and playing that position proudly. Why not consider that the best position for you going forward and resurrect your career being a second baseman. We can help you do that. You can help us uh, try to win in 2024. I think that's a great idea and certainly one he should seriously consider because he needs to do something different if he wants to recreate a better act too to his career. He can't sustain this kind of approach. This something has been broken and he needs to fix it. I don't know if changing positions would do it. Maybe changing scenery would. Like Lance Lynn, that example is a good one. Bruce, I want to ask you this, though. In the context of this conversation about Tim Anderson, earlier this week, I was stunned. Uh, Molly was as well. 
ESPN ranked Colson Montgomery the number two prospect in baseball. The number two overall prospect in baseball is the White Sox double-A infielder, who, by the way, plays shortstop. Do you think Colson Montgomery, based on that suggestion by being ranked that high, is on a track that will put him in Chicago on opening day 2024? I don't think so. I just think it's too soon. He's a really young guy, okay? So uh, there's no rush to get him there. Uh, because you need a shortstop. Now, I understand, uh, you know, you, you saying, you know, how prominent he is in the minor leagues, but that, that still doesn't make it important for the White Sox to rush him to the major leagues. I, th- I think realistically playing AAA for a year, but at least showing that he can dominate or be as, among the top players at AAA the beginning of next year would make a good a good. Uh, you know, litmus test for him to move forward. And maybe by June or July, if he shows he can handle all that, uh, he is your starting shortstop. But I I don't see any, any way you jump from double A to starting shortstop for the White can, Sox. Can I counter that with, with why it's not a ridiculous question, Bruce? Because I look at, okay, this morning, Jeff Passon's reporting the Reds are calling up another rookie, Noelva Marte. Uh, after they have all those other rookies that have come up and, and succeeded. Yesterday, ESPN reported that the Angels called up first baseman Nolan Shanuel, who was the 11th overall pick of the most recent draft from Double A. So this isn't a crazy concept that there actually are players in the minors that teams are going to, you know, if they're going to struggle, let them struggle at the major league level. I know that Colson Montgomery has only played 28 games this year. I know he's had some injuries that have affected him and why he's hitting 194 in double A. I also know that the way that talent evaluators evaluate talent isn't always based on the numbers. Yeah, well, you know, it's a good point, David. I mean, I'm not saying talent-wise he can't do that job, and maybe the White Sox will agree with you. I'm, I'm talking about a 21-year-old guy that um, is um, – 20 or 21, right, right there. Uh, I think, I think that the maturity of the the person as well as the player is important to get him going, to be your shortstop every day uh, in Chicago. So, again, I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm saying, predict predictability wise, I would say he starts at AAA next year, and shows that he can dominate at AAA. And, and hold his head high as one of the better players there. Then you bring him up. I know it's a sexier story to start the season as their shortstop, being one of the top young players in the minor leagues, but he still needs more experience. 312-644-6767. Let us know what you think. Would it be too fast to promote Colson Montgomery? Yeah. What do you think about the Cubs' chances without Marcus Stroman? We have not had a lot of callers today. We've had a lot of guests, but we want to hear from you out there in the audience. Bruce, I do believe, even though Costa Montgomery is a, a, a Hoosier schoolboy legend, and that is part of the story that appeals to me, granted, I understand that it would be rushing him, and I do think that second overall in terms of prospects is way too high. That's why it surprised me so much. I just think that when you look at possible alternatives to the Tim Anderson conundrum, that might mm-hmm. be one of them the Sox consider. I don't know what their direction they're headed in the offseason. And frankly, I don't know who's going to be charting the course, which is all the more important question to be answered yet. But I do think it's a possibility. 
that Colson Montgomery will be in Chicago sooner rather than later, as early as 2024. Well, it's not a crazy idea for, from this perspective. Robin Yant at 19 was starting for the Milwaukee Brewers in the middle 1970s. In the middle 1990s, at 19, Alex Rodriguez was starting at shortstop for uh, the Seattle Mariners. So there are those rare talents that can do that, and they're they're mature enough to, to go to the major leagues and play at a tender age and, and at a at a prominent position, you know, a dominant position, a position of leadership right away. When you go into be being a major league shortstop, David, it's not like any other position, okay, on the field. Uh, at, at that age, if you're a shortstop or a catcher, you have to possess some type of leadership ability. People will look at you to be uh, the elite player out on the field, one of the leaders on the team, whether you're ready for it or not. The White Sox have to decide if Montgomery at this age will be ready to handle all that as well as the, uh, the obvious, and that is that he can play on offense and defense every day. And that question will be answered in part by whether or not they conclude they're going to try to patch things together quickly enough to contend in 2024 or if they're going to hit reset on a rebuild like uh, I think a lot of teams would do after a season like this, after a season in which they could potentially lose 100 games. So Colson Montgomery's future might be tied into what direction the White Sox go. And let's go out to the phone lines. Owen is in Willowbrook and joins us on the score listener line powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. Good morning, Owen. How are you? Good morning, guys. Hey, the other day, um, Pedro Grafal, and I don't put this on Pedro. I don't think he's a good manager, but he was put into this situation. He came out and said he liked the vibe in the clubhouse. Well, if that's what translated – and then you saw the effort in Colorado, and then what happened with the Cubs. You know, you know, bringing Colson Montgomery up into a squad of these type of players, these guys are not players of character. They're not guys that give 100%. I think it would ruin him. And I think it would be a wrong impression to bring a player up like that to be brought up around these position players. And, again, I put this on Han. He didn't trade away. He traded away – the mo- maybe you guys were talking about Cubs being likable. He traded maybe one of the most likable position players on the team and Berger, and the rest of them he kept. I mean, Thanks, the, Owen. What, I, it's, a great, it's a great point. Jake Berger, homeward for the Marlins again last night, Bruce. The vibes in the Marlins clubhouse much better, apparently. Uh, I, did, I did not agree with trading Jake Berger, only because uh, just what everything that Owen said um, – uh, but I'm not the baseball executive of the White Sox looking at getting a top-flight pitcher from the Marlins for what they considered from a baseball perspective, not a makeup perspective. And again, that's the part that I differ with. But from a baseball perspective, a uh, duplication of having too many DHs on their team. Uh, the, the makeup and the likability of Jake Berger cannot be denied. We'll squeeze in Paul in Valparaiso, who has a thought on the Cubs without Marcus Stroman. Good morning, Paul. Welcome inside the clubhouse. Hey, guys. Thanks. And I actually got one more point besides Stroman, if you don't mind. But Stroman, uh, I agree with you, David. They absolutely can win. They've played well without him. Uh, you know, he has been bad since that uh, last game in London. 
but more importantly, guys, you know, I think we've seen this over the last couple of weeks. Every game is obviously so important being behind uh, right now in both the wild card and the, the uh, push for the division. But we got to, whether it be Ross or Hadavi or the individual pitchers, have to stop letting one guy on bad teams, like literally the only guy in the lineup that can beat you, beat you, Robert. Uh, Alonzo yesterday with, I mean, I, I don't understand what they're doing when they're just going to keep giving up home runs to the only guy in the lineup they could hit. That's a great point, Paul. That's a great point, Bruce. I asked Tommy Hadovy about this on Wednesday morning when they pitched to Luis Robert. We'll maybe get that answer and play it when we come back. But, Bruce, Bobby Witt Jr. beat him yesterday. Pete Alonzo, what's going on? Luis Robert, can't the Cubs pitch around anybody? David, you got to score more than three runs against the Royals. I know okay. that was going to be your answer. Okay, <laughs> you got to, you know, if you if you're if you're going to be real the rest of the way, you're going to have to beat the teams in front of you. And I'm not saying you can beat, you know, the kid that threw for Kansas City was really good yesterday, and he's going to he has a bright future. He's he's a really good pitcher, but you got to find some way to beat a, a beat beat a guy like that and score more than three runs. So. We'll pick it up on the other end. You know I'm always going to give I you a, a, an alternative answer, aren't you? No, I know, I, I, but I, I, you're right, and it's it's rational. And Tommy had a great answer we'll listen to, but I'm with Paul. I had the same reaction watching it at home and like, just don't let this guy hit a home run. Just don't let this guy hit a home run. He hit a home run. What are you Guess, doing? He, 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 yeah, what? Walking in the walking the uh, tying run I, is not always uh, the right idea. Not always but. well. Not always recommended. No, yeah, we'll no. come back and because the Cubs have a lineup and it's a good one. We'll talk about it next when we come back for our final segment on Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio six seventy the score. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. Now the two two, deep drive to left. Long home run for Luis Robert. And the White Sox take a 4-3 lead. Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 670 the score. Thank you, Pat Hughes, and the score for that highlight. Yikes, Luis Robert going deep. Why'd you pitch to him? Sounds easy, doesn't it? Yeah. Sounds easy to pitch around him. Not so easy, Bruce. I understand that. I respect that. Still, you can... You can question that, correct? Or am I wrong? Kansas City doesn't stink every day, okay? They didn't stink yesterday. Not only the the Whit home run, but the, the play by the right fielder in the ninth inning to throw out a hustling Nico Horner trying to stretch a single into a double. That was the play to the game. That's, you know, nobody talks about defense in baseball, you know, but you, you see it once in a while in pack games. That impacted the ability of uh, the, uh, you know, was, you know, Drew, Wal- Drew Waters, the right fielder. That impacted the ability of the Kansas City Royals to beat the Cubs yesterday. So uh, that's a, the beauty of baseball, David. Can't you say, wow, look at that schedule. They got three with Kansas City. They have three with Detroit. Then they have uh, three more coming up after that, you know, against uh, another poor team. They're going yeah. to win all those games. I hear it's not you. Gonna happen. It's not okay. going to happen. Fine. You're right. But, Bruce, they can't lose today. They cannot lose today. <laughs> not with Justin Steele on the mound. Not with this lineup. Talkman, Horner, Happ, Bellinger, Swanson, Morrell, Candelario, Suzuki, 
and Jan Gomes. That's your game one lineup for whoever they play in the playoffs. When they get there without Marcus Stroman, they can't lose today. All you said is rational. It's thoughtful. It's, it's, it's even right. But they can't lose with the ace on the mound against the All Kansas right, Sean, City Royals, the tape, second worst team please? in baseball. <laughs> Sean's going to keep this tape for uh, next week's show. And we can play because you're going to be out on sabbatical again somewhere. So we'll, we'll be I'm going to, to Vegas, Bruce. I'm going to Vegas. <laughs> I'm on a work trip. Yeah, I'm doing you're gonna, heavy research. You're going to be you're going to be putting a few bucks down, a few shekels down on the Cubs to uh, win the World Series. I know. I'd it. love to tell you what I'm going to do, but what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, Bruce. And you know that I am a high roller. <laughs> I, I do know that. Yes. I can tell. If you had with your schedule of doing uh, football on TV, uh, the reporter show on on Marquee. Uh, doing this show, doing five days a week, I don't think you would have time to uh, gamble. I, I just don't think you have that time. <laughs> not a big gambler, uh, but I and I but I would not have taken the risk of pitching to Luis Robert the other night. What we heard coming in back to baseball, we have Tommy Hadovy on the score Wednesday morning. Mullion Hall. I asked him about how tricky it is to pitch around guys who are as good as Luis Robert is at the plate. I think, first of all, like go, leading into the series, right, we always talk in, in a pregame series just about who do we not want to beat us, you know, how do we want to handle some of these moments, um, but also, you know, understanding that, you know, pitching around guys, you, you still have to do it the right way, right? I think in that situation, you get 0-2 right away on Luis, obviously we know he's a dangerous hitter no matter what the count is. And, you know, Luis took one good chase slider below the bounced and then fouled off, you know, some fastballs and sliders just getting to that point. You know, Julian is not trying to throw that pitch for a strike, 100%. You know, he knows and understands that, you know, we're trying to keep that to chase and we're, we're going to let him try to get himself out. And, and if we walk him, we walk him in that situation. Love that explanation. Understand and respect how difficult it is. And sometimes you try to locate a pitch and, and you miss, and the guy makes you pay for that mistake. Luis Robert, no fluke. That was his 32nd home run. So I get it, Bruce. I understand. Well, and, you know, again, these these other teams that are bad in the standings, they have really good players. Sometimes they're going to they're gonna do what they do best. You know, Bobby Wood Jr., to your point, yeah, you'd like to pitch around him. He's going to be a 30-30 guy this year. He's going to be a superstar starting this year in the game for probably the next 10 years. So you would like to pitch around him. Uh, but, again, you know, you have people on the mound that you trust. You, you don't want to put tying runs or winning runs on base. So from that perspective, you, you understand all that, David. But it is a good conversation because – it seems you you know two of the best players in baseball helped beat you over the last week. Before we get out of here, Bruce, quickly, did Nico Horner take an unnecessary risk in trying to stretch that into a double yesterday in the ninth inning? No, he didn't. It was if you look at the play, okay, it's down the line. It is short, and that wall does jut out and give you a proper bounce. And Waters did make a great play, but he had to make a perfect throw if the throw is a little to the left a little to the right Horner's hand gets in there he's safe it's a different dynamic the rest of the game Cubs have that tying run uh, on base and they can do something with it I I would say 
10 out of 10 times in my mind, Horner doesn't stop at second base. People say, well, he's their top base stealer. You can steal that base, you know, once he gets on, if he's safe there. I don't think your mind goes as quickly to that as, and, and, and again, that's a different play altogether. So from that perspective, I, I do not fault Horner for that type of hustle there. That's, that's a double most of the time. I like the hustle because it was consistent with Nico Horner being who he is and the way he plays. So I had no problem with him trying to stretch that one. It was just everything went right for the Royals on that play with that bounce and that throw was tremendous. Yeah, just right on the money. And again, the beauty of baseball, you know, I, I just I don't think it was just hustle on uh, the, the part of Horner. I think that's a double and every Every batter's mind's eye, a ball down the line like that, and you can run, you're on second base, okay? That's, that's where you got to be. All right, Bruce, before we get out of here, golf fans on their way to Olympia Fields need to know that throughout the weekend, the BMW Championship is being hosted at Olympia Fields Country Club that they're going to watch, and the leaderboard looks like this. Max Homa, minus 10. Chris Kirk, 8-under. Brian Harmon, 7-under. So today, the third round, get to see some exciting action out at Olympia Fields. The BMW Championship, don't want to miss that. And you don't want to miss Mark Grody, who's live from Indianapolis, next after us. He is going to have all kinds of Bears talk because the Bears played the Colts tonight without Justin Fields. Bruce, this was a fun show. Great guests, great conversation. Thank you for setting everything up. David, you handled it beautifully. We had a lot of guests, a lot of information. We thank our guests uh, Nick Madrigal of the Chicago Cubs, as well as Bob Kendrick of the Negro Leagues Museum, the president there. And, of, of course, uh, Marty coming on and talking about Lynn. What a sensational day it is out at Wrigley Field celebrating the life and times of Lynn Bramer. David, have a good time next week. We'll try to hold it down while you're away uh, gambling in Las Vegas. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine and on our website at 670thescore.com. I'll have a full report when I come back. Thanks for everything, Bruce. Thank you, Sean Sears, the producer. Thank you for listening to Inside the Clubhouse on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Mark Grody is next.